Forgotten Hollywood with Chris Wineland is a production of Revive Studios. In 1949, at the Academy Awards, a man who was previously known as a decent B-list actor won an Oscar, which solidified his place in Hollywood. But he did something else that night which began the long-standing tradition that has been repeated by quite a few actors ever since. Broderick Crawford was the first actor on record to thank God for his award. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the forgotten history of redemption, salvation, and Christ on set and how many actors that shaped Hollywood found Christ and some that were very interested in who Jesus was. This episode is Finding God in Hollywood. And it's time for a pop quiz. Which famous actor got saved on the set of a movie? Is it Mel Gibson, Ricky Gervais, Shia LaBeouf, or Joaquin Phoenix? Again, the question is, which famous actor got saved on the set of a movie? Not who is a Christian, but which actor actually got saved, found Jesus on the set of a movie? Is it Mel Gibson, Ricky Gervais, Shia LaBeouf, Joaquin Phoenix? I'm going to answer this in just a little bit, but before I do, I want to tell you a little bit about my introduction to the idea of salvation in show business and just how many people in show business are actually hungry for the Lord. And for me, it all started when I was camping out in New York City at the age of 21. Now, at that age, I was a comedian only a few years in, and I was very much so excited about auditioning for Last Comic Standing, which was a TV show on NBC that had famous comedians that are famous now, but at the time, they were just coming on to audition, and kind of the idea, which I had found out later was very much a scam, but the idea was that these guys were supposed to be no-name comics that would come on, make people laugh, and then one day become famous. Now, what I didn't know is that I was camping outside of Gotham Comedy Club completely in vain because uh, they had already had agents. The, the, the studio had already picked out all of their comics at that season, and they had already planned pretty much who was going to move on. So all of the hundreds of comics, I was one of them, that were camping outside of the comedy club in New York City for four days in a row. We're doing it pretty much in vain. Uh, I remember waiting four days, and then as soon as I auditioned, I had 60 seconds to tell jokes at the end of the 60 seconds. At, at 61 seconds, I was told no, and thank you for coming. And I, I remember being baffled, but I honestly knew that my mission being there with all the other comics was much deeper than trying to become famous. After I had accepted Christ at the age of 17, I was now only a few years in to being a Christian, and I had noticed that my purpose on this earth was not just to make people laugh, but it was also to bring people to the Lord. And so I made that my mission. For those four days, I was talking to each and every comic that I possibly could talk to about Jesus Christ. And there was one 
comic in particular that was trying to be a bit of a heel to me. He uh, told everybody after I would talk to somebody about Christ, he would find them and kind of corner them and say, actually, what that person just said isn't true at all. You could do whatever you want. The Bible isn't real. Like literally that kind of crazy stuff that was going on. It was this extremely like progressive idea of, you know, you can kind of believe in Jesus, but you can also believe in Buddha and you could do whatever you want. And this guy was really um, preaching this right after I was talking to people. And I remember praying during these four days and I said, Lord, like, what should I do? Because this guy is just trying to shut down everything that I'm trying to build up, you know? And as I was praying and as I was talking, this guy said, it actually was the first night he, I overheard the same man that was trying to be uh, a bit of a thorn in my side. Uh, the same man said, oh, no, I'm so bummed. And I overheard that. I said, oh, why? What, what's wrong? And he told me, well, I actually uh, didn't bring a tent. I, I only brought a chair. I have no idea why, but I forgot my tent. And I had brought a tent. It was a very cozy tent. I'd like to, to think that it was like the nicest tent that was ever created by a human being. And I did something that I think only a Christian would do. I offered to let him have my tent and I would have his chair. I offered to trade places for the whole four days. And this man could not believe it. He said, really? I said, absolutely. And I remember thinking that as I was reading the Word of God and as I was ministering to these comics, that I was just to be as close of a figure to Jesus Christ as possible because I perceived that these people were hungry. Now, at the end of the entire trip, I had come on this entire trip with a friend of mine that was a comedian from Youngstown, Ohio. Great guy, by the way. And he was watching me the entire time because we were there together. We were friends. We were very close friends. Well, at the entire end of the trip, we got on the Greyhound bus headed back from New York City over to Youngstown. And he said, you know what, Chris? I got to tell you, I've been watching you this entire time, all four days. And I've made up a decision. I want what you have. And from this point, from that point on, that was a huge change in his life where he found Christ, uh, kind of rededicated his life to Christ because he had already grown up in church and felt like he knew a little bit of Christ, but he truly dedicated his life to Christ at that moment. And that was the moment that I realized people in show business are just as hungry for God as people everywhere else. And in fact, some people in show business and in Hollywood are even more hungry than you would ever imagine. And that's where we kind of get into this Forgotten History episode that I'm extremely excited um, to, to share with you. Here we go. The golden era of Hollywood has found itself in history a little bit more respectful of God than how we see today. I think most of us would agree that Hollywood has gotten kind of disrespectful of God, that a lot of movies and TV shows like to mock, make fun of, or completely ignore the presence of God in any way, shape, or form. But you might be surprised to hear that in the older golden era of Hollywood, there were talks of God, but it really wasn't until 1949 that someone actually thanked God in an award show. Now, this is according to the Academy Awards Acceptance Speech Database, but in 1949, that was the earliest speech that somebody had thanked God. If my heart would stop beating for a minute. Mr. Douglas said I was to thank nobody. I'd like to thank all of you, and especially... Thank God. You just heard famous actor Broderick Crawford accepting an award for his movie 
all the King's Men at the 22nd Academy Awards. And according to the Academy Awards acceptance speech database, this was, again, the earliest that a speech had included Thank You, God. There were two occurrences prior to that, a couple years before that, where uh, actors had said, God bless. But this time, Crawford seems to give all the credit to God. Now, it's interesting because in 1949, when he reached the pinnacle of his acting career by accepting this award uh, for playing a politician, Huey Long, in All the King's Men, which was a film based on the popular novel by Robert Penn Warren, the film was a huge hit, and Crawford's performance as the bullying, blustering, yet insecure Governor Stark won him the Academy Award for Best Actor choosing to only thank, as you heard, two things, everyone and God. Throughout his entire adult life, Crawford, though he credited God and, and saw that he knew God, he was definitely in need. He was prone to bouts of heavy drinking throughout his entire adult life and was known for eating large meals. These habits contributed to a serious weight gain for Crawford during the 1950s. His weight and um, habit for heavy drinking contributed to several injuries suffered on the set of Highway Patrol, which was a very popular show. It became particularly difficult for Crawford to perform certain scenes, such as when he had to enter and exit a police helicopter. In 1958, Crawford broke his ankle while exiting the helicopter and was forced to wear an ankle cast, which may be seen in some episodes. While representing the California Highway Patrol as Chief Matthews in the show, Crawford was also known with considerable embarrassment by the cops as Old 502 due to his habit of driving under the influence of alcohol. Now, I find that extremely ironic. He played a highway patrolman, and yet he was constantly being pulled over by highway patrolmen for uh, drinking and driving. Now, they called him Old 502 because uh, apparently there was this code, Code 502, which meant drunk driving. And so every time they would see him, the officers would kind of joke and say, oh, that's Old 502. That's how much he drank. And, you know, even the creator of the show, Guy Daniels, said, we got all the dialogue in by noon or else we wouldn't get it done at all. Crawford was known to bribe people to bring him booze on the set. Now, why do I tell you this whole story if he's the person that said he thanked God right at the pinnacle of his career? I tell you that because I think that there's this easy notion that people in Hollywood are not human. I, I, I think subconsciously, a lot of us can look at celebrities as almost uh, you know, Greek gods and goddesses, so to speak, where they are unreachable by us or by other people or by God because they are the influencers. And I, I, I want to show you how human these actors are. Each and every one of the celebrities and actors are, are very human. Again, I think it's really important that we see actors, producers, directors, and celebrities as human and nothing more. They are humans that need uh, a savior, sinners that are in need of a savior. And Crawford died following a series of strokes in 1986 at the age of 74 in Rancho Mirage, California. To this date, there was nothing I could see about his belief or his faith or religion. Now, although Crawford may have started the trend of thanking God, 
A more current A-list actor has taken his award speeches to the next level, oh, almost in the way of preaching a sermon. so good for your soul. And finally, number nine, nobody is perfect. People are going to tell you you're perfect just the way you are. You're not. You are imperfect. You always will be. But there is a powerful force that designed you that way. And if you're willing to accept that, you will have grace. And grace is a gift. And like the freedom that we enjoy in this country, that grace was paid for with somebody else's blood. Do not forget it. Don't take it for granted. God bless you. Please get home safe. That was Chris Pratt in 2018 at the MTV Movie and TV Awards, sharing his nine rules from Chris Pratt. Chris has been very vocal about his faith from the very beginning of his career and actually got saved through a very unique set of circumstances. Christopher Michael Pratt was born on June 21, 1979 in Virginia, Minnesota, the youngest child of Kathleen Louise, who worked at a Safeway supermarket, and Danielle Clifton Pratt, who worked in mining and later remodeling houses. Pratt's father died in 2014 from multiple sclerosis. When Pratt was seven years old, the family moved to Lake Stevens, Washington. He graduated from Lake Stevens High School in 1997. Pratt dropped out of community college halfway through the first semester, and after working as a discount ticket salesman and daytime stripper, he ended up homeless in Maui, Hawaii, sleeping in a van and a tent on the beach. It was during his time in Maui that Chris would have an amazing encounter that would alter his life forever. A complete stranger came up to Chris Pratt and changed his life. Pratt details the meaning and the meeting in an interview with Esquire in 2014 as follows. This guy came by and was like, what are you doing tonight? And I was like, oh, I don't know. So he's like, well, are you going to fornicate tonight? And I was like, I hope so. And drugs and drinking? It's like, most likely, yeah, probably all three of those things. I mean, at least two of them, probably all three. He was like, I stopped because Jesus told me to stop and talk to you. He said to tell you, you're destined for great things. My friends came out and I was like, hey, I'm going to go with this guy. I gave my soul to Jesus within like two days. I was stuffing envelopes for his organization, Jews for Jesus. What a powerful testimony. And Chris then, with his newfound faith, ministered to his friends who had a meth issue, and she went on to become a YWAM pastor. Pratt has said before that he thinks that ministering to her was quite possibly his main purpose. A month after he found God, Chris was discovered by a director while he was waiting tables, and his career took off from there. Divine intervention, perhaps? (laughs) Who knows? But since then, Chris Pratt has become one of the world's biggest stars, known for his roles in Parks and Recreation, Guardians of the Galaxy, Jurassic World, and Lego Movie. All the while, Chris finds ways to speak about Jesus and God in most of his interviews, always trying to give thanks where thanks is due. I would not be here with the ease and grace I have in my heart without my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As I mentioned in a previous episode, there were great changes made for the kingdom of God through the production of the Passion of the Christ, not only in viewers, but also on set. There were multiple accounts of people who accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior on set, and this got me thinking. What other entertainers came to Christ on set, or even just throughout the tenure 
in this notoriously dark entertainment industry. One such person is that of Kirk Cameron from Growing Pains. And so the same difficult challenges and influences of Hollywood that turn some people sour is the same pressure that actually softened my heart. My name is Kirk Cameron, and this is my story. Kirk Cameron was born on October 12, 1970 in Panorama City, California, to parents Barbara and Robert Cameron. He has three sisters, Bridget, Melissa, and actress Candace Cameron Burr, who is obviously most notable for her role as DJ Tanner on the television sitcom Full House. Kirk was immersed in the acting world at a young age of nine when he got his first acting job in a commercial for Golden Graham Cereal. Kirk Cameron received his first starring role at the age of 13 in the TV show Two Marriages, and at the age of 14, he got cast as Mike Seaver in the show Growing Pains. Kirk used to say that he was a staunch atheist, but all that changed when he turned 17. Kirk Cameron was making about $50,000 a week, and for a 17-year-old, he thought he had everything he could ever want. But Kirk met a man who was the father of a girl that he liked, and he got to talking to this man, and the father said, there's still something that you don't have, though. Kirk, you have a lot, but you don't have the Lord. And Kirk stated that at this point, he was thinking, okay, well, what's the point? I, I don't believe in God, and that's really not something I'm interested in. But then I thought, this is Kirk Cameron speaking, but then I thought, well, I better not turn down his invitation to go to church. After all, this is the girl I like. This is the father of the girl I like. So Kirk decided to go to church with the man and heard the gospel like it was never explained to him before. After this church service, Kirk came back to the man with a bunch of questions about evolution, other religions, and the Bible. The man answered most of the questions with very intelligent answers, but said this to Kirk. Kirk, there's one question you need to ask God himself. I can't answer it for you. And that's whether or not he's real. Cameron left confused, but about a month later, he was sitting in his car and Kirk said that he got the thought that if he died in a car crash right now, he wouldn't go to heaven. Kirk began to pray for the very first time right there and accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. After he became a Christian, Kirk Cameron's whole life changed. He was less worried about girls and more on God. He cleaned up his language, declined more acting jobs that didn't line up with his faith, and he even changed scenes for the show that he was already in. Kirk talked with the execs for Growing Pains and said that he wanted his character's behavior to match up with that of his newfound faith. One of the biggest things was that his character, Mike Seaver, was a, a ladies' man. He had this ladies' man motif to him, and he wanted to stop having a different girlfriend every single episode and even protested to get a scene canned where he was sharing a bed with a girl in the show. Though he didn't have a new girlfriend every episode, he was lucky that they still continued to give him girlfriends in the show occasionally because that is how he met his future wife, Chelsea Noble. Now, they continued to date on the show and on the TV show for the rest of its run, and in real life, they got married in 1991. Since Growing Pain's ending, Kirk Cameron has worked tirelessly to spread the gospel between forming different ministries, the Way of the Master and the Firefly Foundation, speaking at different churches and colleges, and having televised debates on the reality of God. Most of the work that he has done 
post-growing pains has been that of Christian Foundation, including the movie Fireproof, the Left Behind series, The Birth of Jesus, and so much more. Kirk Cameron's work may not be in the spotlight like it once was. Many actors and actresses even go as far as the minister on set to their fellow, fellow actors. One such person is Megan Good. Now, you may not have heard of Megan Good, but she has been in Hollywood for quite some time. Good was born in the Panorama City neighborhood of Los Angeles on August 8, 1981. Her mother, uh, Tyra, worked as goods manager into her teens and her father uh, Leon as they would call him is an LAPD police officer now good she was raised with three siblings in Canyon County California she began her acting career around the age of four that's very early she was raised in a Christian home and has continued to have a fervent prayer life ever since she stated that when she was about 19, she was having a hard time transitioning from child actor to being an adult actor. She wasn't finding many jobs and would ask God why she wasn't acting. But this is when she finally realized she never asked God if this is what he wanted for her. She detailed her conversation with God in an interview with the Christian Post saying, that was the first time I really laid it on the altar. I was like, I, I want to do this but I want what you want for me more than I want for myself. She continues in the interview saying, this was the first time that I had felt God saying, yes, this is what you're supposed to be doing. However, it's not about this and it's not about you. It's about the platform that I'm giving you to glorify me. And it's about you walking in who I've called you to be. Now, Good testified, revealing that her faith journey has been very interesting. Since that point, she has tried to spark up many conversations about God during her shootings on different sets. Shockingly enough, to many Christians, Good said that she recalls having the most conversations about God and ministering on the set of horror movies she was in, uh, most admirably saw five. Megan Good tried to live by the faith, but came up short, just as we all do in her 20s, through having a, a slew of intimate partners. But when one of them cheated on her, she vowed to stay celibate until she was married. And though they have since divorced, she brought up that her relationship with director and Seventh-day Adventist pastor Devon Franklin, uh, detailing in her book, The Weight, A Powerful Practice to Finding the Love of Your Life and the Life You Love. The two as she had detailed in the book, that the two had stayed pure for the two years that they were together before they got married. Megan Good is a great representation of how we could possibly minister the gospel in even the darkest of environments, situations, and industries. Yes, even in a horror movie. Well, another actor that might uh, surprise you of a conversion into Christianity is Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf is yet another actor who converted to Christianity while on the set of a movie. LaBeouf was born on June 11, 1986 in Los Angeles, California. He's the only child of Shania Said and Jeffrey LaBeouf. His mother is a visual artist, jewelry designer, and former dancer, while his father is a Vietnam War veteran and former professional clown. That's right, clown. 
The buff's mother is Jewish and his father, who is of Cajun French descent, is Christian. LaBeouf has described himself in the past as Jewish and has stated that he was raised around both sides. He had a bar mitzvah ceremony and then he was also baptized. One of the camps he attended was Christian growing up. In Hebrew, his first name Shia spells gift of God, even at a young age, beginning with his role in the Disney Channel show Even Stevens, which made him extremely popular. Shia LaBeouf has been a well-known actor noted for a deep commitment to playing a wide variety of roles. He has also been noted for sometimes strange behavior and sometimes troubling actions, including an accident allegedly caused by him driving under the influence of alcohol and multiple arrests for violent behavior. Thus, he created a lot of stir when in 2014 interview with Interview Magazine, Shia LaBeouf revealed that he had decided to become a Christian and he had surrendered his heart to Christ under the influence of people he was working with while creating the upcoming movie Fury. He credits his work, the, the movie Fury, with his changed decision. In the interview, he says, I found God during Fury, a process he describes as a full-blown exchange of heart, a surrender of control. Actor Brad Pitt and director David Ayers were influential in this decision. Brad Pitt does not identify as Christian, though he was raised in a Pentecostal church, while David Ayers practices Christianity in a highly visible way. The three men engaged each other on issue of faith and how it impacts their identity, leading Shia LaBeouf to make this decision. He, he details it in an interview with Interview Magazine. I found God during fury, he says. I became a Christian man in a very real way. I could have just said the prayers that were on the pages, but it was a real thing that really saved me. And you can't identify unless you're really going through it. It's a full-blown exchange of heart, he says, a surrender of control. And while there's beauty to that, acting is all about control. So that's the wild thing to navigate. Though not all actors like Shia LaBeouf are Christians, there is still a pool to faith for many people in the industry, a longing to find something more and to portray an honest character leads many not of faith to take up roles as Christians in movies. The actor Andrew Garfield is a perfect example. Andrew Russell Garfield, as he was born in uh, August 20th, 1983 in Los Angeles, California. His, his mother, Lynn, was from Essex, England, and his father, Richard Garfield, is from California. Garfield's parental grandparents were also from the United Kingdom. Garfield's uh, parents ended up moving the family from Los Angeles to the UK uh, when he was only three years old, which is, of course, where he got the accent. Because as I was reading that when he was born in Los Angeles, I thought, wait a second, this guy isn't English at all. He has no accent. But he ended up moving at three, so I'll, I'll allow him to uh, have his, his English accent, his British accent, if you will. His paternal grandparents were from Jewish immigrant families who moved to London from Poland, Russia, and Romania. And the family surname was originally Garfinkel, Though you may know Andrew Garfield from massive movies like The Amazing Spider-Man, Hacksaw Ridge, or his time on Broadway in The Death of a Salesman, he started taking acting classes at the age of nine. He continued his love of acting by joining a few youth acting troops and then attending the Central School of Speech and Drama. Once he graduated from this school in 2004, 
He took full steam ahead in his acting career. Typically steering towards stage productions, he was still very active in film and television acting, gaining several movies and TV show parts before his big break came in 2010 when Garfield was cast in The Social Network as a co-founder of Facebook. After this, he went on to star in blockbuster movies with many of them sharing a common theme. He was portraying a Christian. Now, he started as Desmond Dawson, Hacksaw Ridge, a film focused on the World War II experiences as Desmond Doss, an American pacifist combat medic who, as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, refused to carry or use a weapon or firearm of any kind. Doss became the first conscientious objector to be awarded the Medal of Honor for service above and beyond the call of duty by rescuing 75 soldiers during the Battle of Okinawa. He also starred as Sebastio Rodriguez based on Giuseppe Chiaro, 1602 to 1685, who was an Italian Jesuit missionary active in 17th century Japan. In the 2016 film Silence, Silence's plot follows two 17th century Jesuit priests who travel from Portugal to Japan to locate their missing mentor and spread Catholic Christianity. The story is set in a time when it was common for the faith's Japanese adherents to hide from the persecution that resulted from the suppression of Christianity in Japan. His most recent film portraying a Christian is The Eyes of Tammy Faye, where Garfield plays Tammy Faye Baker's husband and televangelist Jim Baker. Now, these are all large-scale productions in which Andrew Garfield has taken up the role as a Christian. Here's a clip of him talking about these experiences during an interview on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Um, you, you know, you know uh, it, not only did we study the theology and the, the history of the Society of Jesus, um, but there's these, these processes called the spiritual exercises that St. Ignatius created when he founded the order. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of the basis for all 12-step programs around the world, um, AA being the, the first. Um, and it's this transformational process where you do these imaginative, meditative prayers with um, the life of Jesus, where you pl place yourself in each scene, much like being an actor. And actually I found out that Stanislavski, who invented modern acting, the method of modern acting that resulted in the American method and everything after that, was deeply inspired by St. Ignatius's spiritual exercises. So I felt kind of right at home. And it was this very weird thing where you create a very deep relationship with Jesus Christ. And I didn't, I didn't know much about Jesus. I, didn't, I hadn't really studied the Bible. As I said. In the same vein, as a Spider-Man actor, Andrew Garfield, there have been a slew of celebrities who, though not fully, have seen the power of God, experienced the power of prayer, and even thought about joining ministries at one time. One actor in particular actually studied to be a priest before he joined Hollywood, married a woman with a different religion, and then became the spokesperson and one of the highest-ranking members in Scientology. That's right. The Mission Impossible actor Tom Cruise was almost a priest. According to Showbiz Cheat Sheet, before he made his marks in the entertainment industry, Tom Cruise was actually training to become a Catholic priest. When Cruise was a teenager, he decided to attend Franciscan Seminary in Cincinnati, Ohio. Cruise was drawn to the seminary after seeing a speech by Father Rick Schneider. Tom was instantly hooked, Schneider recalled. I think he wanted a good education. With his parents going through a divorce, it was tough on him. That's maybe one of the reasons why he came here. Shane Dempler was Tom Cruise's close friend from the seminary, and he explains a little bit more. Shane said he had a very strong Catholic faith. 
He went to Mass, spent time in chapel, and enjoyed hearing stories from the priests. We thought the priests had a great lifestyle, and we were really interested in priesthood. Yet, Dempler acknowledged that looking back, they were too young to make that decision. Cruz and Dempler's time at the seminary came to an end when they were caught stealing alcohol from the fathers. They and other boys got drunk in the woods nearby, and those classmates confessed later when the fathers caught them. Dempler says this, the schools, the, the school wrote a letter to our parents saying they liked us both, but would prefer if we didn't return. So we weren't kicked out, just preferred not to go. Now, uh, this ending of that story has been altered a few times, just so you know. So if you're ever looking into this story, as far as how they left, it's been argued a few different ways as to how and why Tom Cruise left the school of ministry, but he did indeed leave it. And a few years after Cruz left seminary, he appeared in the movie Taps, which kickstarted his successful Hollywood career, and then he was introduced to Scientology by his now ex-wife Mimi Rogers. Ex-wives can play a part in an actor's journey to find faith, or at least find peace for even a second. In the biography Fonda My Life, Written by Henry Fonda and Howard Teachman and published in 1981, Fonda reveals that it was actually God which brought peace after he felt completely alone from his first divorce. Newly divorced from his first wife, Margaret Sullivan, only four months after they married, Henry Fonda was rightfully distraught. Usually the cool, smooth, aw shucks kind of actor had a way of dealing with things through confidence and patience. Even when he had to appear on Broadway after his mother's sudden death from a blood clot, his family encouraged him to adhere by the actor's motto, the show must go on. But on this particular windy day in 1932, Henry felt hopeless. He recalls he just couldn't handle it, and as much as he tried, he couldn't cope. As he walked down Madison Avenue, he found himself staring at a Christian science reading room. It had been eight years since he had said a prayer or even thought of religion or the faith that he grew up knowing as a child. Admittedly, he didn't renounce God. He just gradually faded away, he says. And in his words, he faded away as one does in the world. It didn't take him long to decide what to do. Remembering the story, Henry Fonda said in the book Fonda, My Life, I was desperate. I opened the door and went in. A man was sitting behind the desk. May I help you? The man asked. Fonda then proceeded to spell out all of his agony and the conflict with Sullivan that he had led to his divorce. I don't know what it was, Fonda says. I must have had faith that day. I I don't even know who that man was, but he helped me to leave my pain in that little reading room. When I went out, I was Henry Fonda again. Now, this is a very powerful testimony, considering the famous actor would go on record later in life as being agnostic and unsure about God. The story reminds me of the parable Jesus tells about the seed being sown and the enemy snatching it away, but this story and one of Tom Cruise's story that I told earlier reveals something else. People in Hollywood are hungry for God. I hope this episode brought a new perspective about celebrities and just how human they truly are. Like you or I, the people in Hollywood are sinners in need of a savior. And I hope that you would pray with me that they find salvation through Jesus Christ. I'll see you next week for our season finale episode of Forgotten Hollywood. 
For more information on Forgotten Hollywood, visit my website at chriswineland.com. You can also find all of my source material from this episode and other past episodes on my page as well. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at chriswinelandcomedy. We'll be back next week with another surprising episode of Forgotten Hollywood. Thank you.